Welcome to the Wealth and Purpose Podcast, where people who are led by their hearts come to learn the secrets to creating wealth in a way that feels really good and live their purpose fully in the process. I'm your host, Patty Lennon. I'm an ex-type A corporate banker turned intuitive business coach. I'm also a wife, a mom to two preteens, a professor, Girl Scout leader, and well, hey, you get it. Like you, I wear a lot of hats. Whether you're looking for inspiration to get started or strategies to get growing, I am here to help you create abundance in every area of your life and business. Welcome. Hello, everyone. Well, as we are moving through this new year, if you are like most people, the whisper of tax time is upon us. And if that has been hanging over your head uh, at all, then my guest today is going to help you get some freedom around this. Pam Pryor is who I'm going to be talking to today. And what I love about Pam is in a world of people who say they will help you make money, help you manage your money, help you keep your money... Pam actually has an expertise in this. She is like legit. She's got a CPA. She's got a grown-up business. She's been a CFO and controller in many different uh, circumstances, many different types of businesses. And when I first met Pam, and we're going to talk about that story because it's a pretty cool one. But when I first met Pam, what struck me about Pam is that she has this really like fundamental understanding of how like the balance sheet connects to the spirit of your business. And then she wraps it in a, in a really big heart. And that was really why I wanted her on this call. She's going to talk to us about, you know, like fundamentals of managing the money in your business. But then I also asked her if she would help us get more comfortable with the time leading up to tax time because I really think it can be a time of celebration when you get to a point where you're really on top of your money and you know how to do that. But if you don't and you sort of avoid looking at it or you're just not sure what you should be looking at, it can be a really traumatic (laughs) period of the year. And we don't need that. We've got lots of just natural born roller coaster events as being um, business owners. So with that, um, Pam, welcome. Thank you so much. I'm so glad to be here. What a wonderful introduction, Patty. Yes. And you know what? I forgot to mention your book, which I'm going to do right now because you know, lots of people have great books, but what's great about Pam's book is that it's actually like super helpful from the first page on. It's called Your First CFO, The Accounting Cure for Small Business Owners. Oh God, is that not what we all need? So, (laughs) um, okay, Pam. So, you know, the question I ask, I ask every podcast guest three questions. And I'm really curious about your answer to the first one, which is what is your definition of wealth? Oh, that, that is a great one. And, and I'll tell you what, that definition for me, it's probably the same for you, has changed over time as I've, as I've grown older and experienced more stuff. But I hate the word balance because it's, such, it's got such a, a negative association attached to it when it's misused. But to me, wealth really is about having and maximizing all of, and this is why there's the connection to the balance sheet, all of the assets in my life. And that includes my family, my friends, my spirituality, my my relationship with God, 
my money and finances, so on and so forth. So, um, and, and the other asset is, you know, huge asset that people often overlook is the ability to have fun. And that is a big one for me. And it's especially important in this area of finances where everybody thinks that finance is misery. I'm the idiot out there bouncing around going, finance is fun. Finance is fun. Uh, so, <laughs> it's, it's all about relationships with, with the assets, you know, to use the accounting term, but really the important things, the, the rocks in your life. That I love that answer. Love, love, love that answer. That is such a concise, solid CPA like <laughs> answer to such a rich question. Okay. So before we jump in, I realize that I think there's a clarification that a lot of listeners are going to need, which is I came from corporate banking. So I'm a little more familiar with some terms that get thrown around, but I do notice that, you know, born and bred entrepreneurs don't always understand the definition of a CEO versus a CFO and then a controller. Mm -hmm. So, you know, and I think typically, I I don't think a controller is really what you're looking at needing unless you get super big. Typically your CFO or a virtual CFO kind of encapsulates that role. But if I'm wrong about that, you give me what you understand the difference to be, because I think People here, you know, be working on your business, not in your business, but typically that on your business is CEO type stuff. And they just want the CFO role to just disappear. <laughs> yeah, that is a really good, really, really good point because it's got such a, a broad definition and there's a lot of negativity associated with it. I'll tell you how my relationships tend to work out with those two terms. CEOs are really, in my mind, the equivalent of the business owner or the person with the idea that's created something from nothing. So, uh, you know, a publishing company that started with the idea and the owner's head, a, another client who is uh, uh, creating funnel management software who started with the idea and created it. These folks usually are visionaries and have all the personality types that go along with the visionary. If you look at their Colby or their, their uh, Briggs, Myers-Briggs or whatever type of testing you do. And they're great with seeing the future and basically stepping out into the future as if it exists today. So that to me is how I define CEO, whether it's the CEO of you know GE or whether it's the CEO of a $500,000 revenue uh, company and it's the entrepreneur. And the CFO I see as it often comes out to, this is by no means black and white, but what it often comes out to is the CFO is the one who is kind of grounded in the, the otherwise boring, hard facts of the business, but a really good CFO handles that stuff. But at the, t- at the same time, and this is so important, takes the steps out with that CEO because there's a trust relationship. So while I'm making sure, or the CFO is making sure that all the details are handled so that this person, the CEO doesn't have to deal with them, that the books are correct, that the tax relationship's set up, that you've got the right insurances, all that stuff that no CEO wants to talk about, but that only the CFO knows how to make sure they stay out of trouble. We actually call it the CFO, the friend in the foxhole, which is a little violent of a, a 
an analogy, but it, it's the one that keeps coming up, even for my most spiritual and peaceful clients. They feel like they've got somebody in there who allows them to do everything they do and and are and are, are strengths of theirs, but make sure that they're not going to step on any landmines. Uh, and that's really kind of how I see it, and that's how it's worked out. Uh, by no means is that you know there are very linear and accounting oriented CEOs, and there are very flighty. And, and visionary CFOs. But as a rule, that's how I kind of see that partnership working. It's two sides of the same coin that move that business vision forward. Does that make sense? I kind of mm. rambled, but... Yeah, no, you didn't ramble. That makes total sense. And you Great. know, one of the re- one of the things you put out, I don't know if it was a podcast or a Facebook Live, but I think it kind of highlights for people what a good CFO can do for you is you were talking about how do you know if you've got the revenue to hire someone? And that's as simple as mm-hmm. a VA all the way up to, you know, a high level salesperson or a different kind of employee, a CFO, or at least if you're being the CFO for yourself, is able to not just look at the numbers today, which a good bookkeeper can help you do, but can show you what the numbers mean for the future. That is exactly right. So the the book and pretty much everything I talk about says there is no reason for a CEO to understand kind of the accounting Greek. We want to translate everything into entrepreneur speak so that it makes sense to the individual entrepreneur. And the idea is to make sure that they are well protected and kind of understand what they need. And I I lost track of the original question here because I got distracted on a line of thinking. So go back to the original piece of that question. You know what? There wasn't even a question. I was just trying to drive the point home of the difference between having a really quality bookkeeper or accounting person and actually having a true CFO or... I think because there's, well, actually, I won't say this, Pam, because I will say I do not have a virtual CFO right now. Mm-hmm. So yeah, okay. I, maybe I should. I just didn't think my revenue was where it made sense. So yeah, uh, yeah you, that's actually great. Thank you. Because I went back to where my mind took off on a whole nother tangent. And now <laughs> I understand why it went on the tangent. So a lot of times what happens with entrepreneurs is you're, you're, all of us who have started from you know nothing to something in the entrepreneurial world, we're a one-man, one-person show. And there comes a transition time. And the transition time comes when we're, we're not, we're, we are the business for some period of time, right? It's just us. We're out there grinding. We may be keeping our books in an Excel spreadsheet. We may be keeping them in QuickBooks. We may have somebody keeping them for us, but we're not using that information for anything. All it's really doing is it's like, keep this out of my hair, get that stuff ready for the tax accountant at the end of the year so that I don't have to answer a million questions. And on they go with that. And that is a a book. Usually what you have for that is a bookkeeper who's pretty good and they're doing their job. The issue in what happens is they are generally keeping the books for the tax accountant so that the job for the tax accountant is much easier. When we hit a transition point where you need to start making some decisions like you, the example you just cited, I need to know if I can hire a VA. I'm going crazy here. Uh, I need to know if I can get a new computer. Mine's falling apart and I can't even record a podcast anymore. That's when, when you start to have questions like that, can I afford this? Can I afford that? Or another question from the abundance perspective on this is I need to grow And I need to know exactly what money to invest in that growth so that I do it 
wisely so that I'm not one of those that just spends money and then goes bankrupt. I know when I spend my money, it's going to get the return that I'm expecting. So if I invest in a new computer to you know, make a substantially better podcast, that's going to result in uh, better better. Uh, visibility for me, more credibility for me, those kinds of things. If I hire a VA, all of a sudden I can develop out a group program that I haven't been able to do because I'm so busy running my one-on-one program and all the administrative stuff. So when those questions start to come is when you move away from just a bookkeeper, because now all all that information that you're paying for them to keep track of can be really useful to you. Because you can use that information to look forward and say, okay, this is the month that I can can afford to hire that VA and here's how much I can pay them. And it just brings such confidence to that decision because you're using the history of your business and the things that you know how to affect in your business, like all the levers you know how to pull as a business owner, price and marketing and all of that stuff. So you can actually see how when you make a decision in your business, it's going to affect your future future cash flow. But more importantly, how and when it's going to affect your ability to do all those strategic things you want to do. That's when you need to start thinking about getting you know a much higher end bookkeeper, accountant, controller, CFO. And the book really has a great chapter on that that really talks about moving through that chain of, of, uh, finance support. Mm. So, you know what, I want to, um, maybe not push back on you, but get like a little more out of you on that, on that line. Um, because I think there are going to be people listening to this who really aren't ready to invest in a, in, you know, a CFO, a virtual CFO. Right. But they're at a stage where they have to bring on help. And what I've seen a lot of entrepreneurs do is say, well, when the cash is sitting in my bank account, that's my trigger to know that I can hire. And oftentimes, what they need to do won't be able to be accomplished without hiring first. And so, and you can tell me I'm wrong here, but my feeling has always been if you can project the additional revenue accurately, and you know that a hire is going to bring revenue into your business because you have more, and revenue being a cash revenue or time revenue, actually, mm-hmm. yep. because it would be more your priority, then you can hire without that cash sitting in your account. I mean, ideally you have extra cash, but most entrepreneurs who are still in the early stages don't. Yeah. Um, so I, I, you're ex- we are saying exactly the same thing. You just said it more um, art with much better, much more clearly than I did. The reason you want to have the history is so you can create that forecast with confidence. And the forecast is exactly what you said. When is this revenue coming? And therefore, I know when it's coming. When ahead of that do I need to start putting some money out to build the organization to support it? And in other words, hire the VA so that I can handle the increasing customers. It's usually going to be well ahead of when the revenue comes. But the cool thing here is that if you have that forecast, you can kind of play with it and say, if I increase sales by this much, I can hire here. If I increase sales twice as much, I can hire earlier than that. 
But what you have is the ability to know, in a lot of cases, entrepreneurs have to go into debt or get credit or invest more money, how much that needs to be to get you through that very short period of time, hopefully, where you are spending ahead of the revenue. And at every growth phase in your business, exactly what you describe is going to happen for the most part, unless there are very rare exceptions. You're going to have to spend ahead of that revenue, which makes that forecast or looking into the future so critical. So you know with some confidence when that revenue is coming so that you know, in fact, how much you have to support until then. Does that make sense? Mm, Yes, it totally does. And there's a point I want to drive home on this that I think a lot of people miss in the world we play in, in the online marketing world. Because online marketing has been perfected by a certain number of people, they can convince you that you need what they're selling, that the your problem is met by their solution. And in some cases it is. But what I often see happen is you, you know, an entrepreneur will feel like, oh my gosh, I need more sales. I need a better social media profile or whatever it is. And then someone comes along and says, you know, whatever. This is it. Like these are the keys to the kingdom. And they knee jerk invest in that solution. Mm-hmm. And what I've often told people, which I'm a piece, what I'm going to say is a piece of it. And then what I think you just said is like the added piece to it, which is decide what you need in your business. So, for instance, if you need help having stronger sales conversations, know that's what you're looking for and proactively go out and find the person that's best suited to help you with that. And then the piece you just brought in is, and look at your revenue and see what additional revenue is going to come in. If you're closing 10% of the sales conversations you have, and you know your industry is at 50%, then if you can get to be an industry expert at sales conversations, you know you've got a 40% potential bump in revenue that you can look at. Do you think that that's a fair assessment of, of... Yes. I think you hit the nail on the head and I'll tell you why. And you actually answered the first question you asked about as well. So a CEO will do exactly what you just described. I know I'm closing at 10%. I know the industry's closing at 50% or my competitors are closing at 50%. And I know this is my problem, the sales call, the conversion call, whatever you might say. And I need to go out and look for that. The CFO job or the bookkeeper job or your ability to forecast if you're small enough that you don't have those roles is to then say, okay, what am I going to get back as a result from this and when? Seek out the specific thing you need. And because you have that identified as crazy as it sounds on a piece of paper, you don't react with such whiplash to everything the market is throwing at you. Mm. Yes. Mm-hmm. It really, really ties in. Okay. So how do you know? I know when I need to hire a CFO? Now, I think part of the reason maybe why I've been resistant or just haven't thought I'm ready, Pam, is I actually, having come from banking, can do what you're talking about. And so I will do it for myself. But I do think that I'm going to have a certain blind spot, you know, that visionary halo maybe around my numbers. So tell me when it really is the right time where I should be or anyone should be hiring a a virtual CFO. Because I'm going to say a virtual CFO, because I really don't think... I think you need a much more established business. Like in terms of income, revenue, history, 
to have a full-time CFO. Yep. Uh, that That is really, really well put. And I'm actually looking at the book, if anybody has it or gets it, it's in the chapter called Build Your Team. And the way that I think about this, especially in a company that's, that's starting to grow and having to hire people, and it sounds kind of crazy and mushy, but it really is. It's it, 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 what it does, the way to look at this is it, having a CFO in place allows you to step away from your leadership of the finance and accounting process, from you know not getting the numbers you need when you need them, from trying to understand them, from making sure that that all the pieces make sense. It moves you up to a higher level of only seeing the pieces you really need to know and understand. And the CFO kind of takes that leadership, that that finance leadership piece off your plate so that you know you're getting only what you need. The way that I put this is that you know your role as a CEO at the top can get extremely lonely. And as crazy as this sounds, the lonelier it gets, the more you need a CFO because mm-hmm. you're making decisions and having to make decisions without that friend in the foxhole. Um you know the the best of the best CEO CFO teams are built based on on trust. So you want to bring somebody in when you start to see that that needs coming, and make sure that you're going to have that relationship. And it can be a part time thing. You can touch base once a week, even, or you can have a call. You know, whenever you might need it about a particular question that's troubling you and that kind of thing. It's it's really a sounding board. And the way I put this is they, they establish your, your protective perimeter for you so that you can go off with abundance and not fear that you're going to step on something that's going to tank your business. Because you know in the back of the head, there are things out there that can do that, but you don't want to think about them. Yeah. You want somebody else thinking about that for you. And I know that's a mushy question. I have a much more kind of uh, numeric threshold here. And it basically says, you know, where are you in your business? If, you, if you're the point where you need financing, where you need to grow, where you're thinking about buying a business, or you want to exit your business, those are the, if you want to check box, those are the ones I would check. That's when you need a CFO. Nice. But, nice. I like it. I like the mushy and the solid. Yeah. <laughs> that, helps, that helps everyone's right brain and left brain come together in partnership around this. So, you know, when I was, um, so, you know, when I have podcast guests on like Pam, you know, I'll just reach out to them and say, are there any questions that I won't be thinking of asking you that I should ask? And one you put down, Pam, was that um, how to become the one in 10 who breaks through the seven figure barrier. And I got to tell you, I was a little shocked at that. I would think it's less than one in 10. Um, That just that number alone kind of threw me. So tell me what you think most entrepreneurs need to do right now to be that. And then um, also, is it really one in 10? Yeah. So the one in 10 revenue. Yeah. The one in yeah, the one in 10 is actually true. It's a revenue number that we're talking about, but it's all based on you can actually have any percentage you want based on where you start with. If you start with an entrepreneur who has zero, it's, you know, who's got a zero in their business, it's a much, much lower percentage. But I'm talking about entrepreneurs who are already six figure businesses, right? And mid to, mid to, to three quarter six figure business. Oh, okay. Okay. So and then you're- those, yeah. And, and to be honest, this, like any other statistic in the world, 
you can get anywhere from one in a hundred to or one in ten to one in ten thousand. It depends on what you look at, how much you narrow it. I was looking specifically at online coaching entrepreneurs who are already at the six figure level. Okay, that so, totally makes sense to me. Yeah, so, so that's really helpful. To, and actually. I I do want the answer to that question, but I also want to clarify for listeners, because I do find that this is something that people don't keep in mind. Can you tell them the difference between revenue and income? Oh, yeah, sure, sure. So revenue is, and these are terms you don't really need to know in detail, but the revenue basically means it's the money you bring into the business, like the money that your customers pay you for what you do. That's your revenue. The income, when people talk about net income or profit, or those are the the most common terms for it, it means all of that money that comes into your business from your customers minus all of the money you spend in your business. So quick example, say that you are a $100,000 business. When I say that, I mean that your customers have paid you $100,000 in the year. Now you may have spent $50,000, $60,000, $70,000, $80,000 just on things like, you know, hopefully paying yourself, paying for your technology, building your product, marketing, lead generation, all those other things we spend money on. So say you spent $80,000 on all that stuff. The revenue would be a hundred that you got from your customer. Your expenses would be 80 and the net income would be the 20 that's left over. And if you have a number that's positive that's left over, that's when it's called a profitable business. Awesome. And I think that's just especially important um, in a world where we get a lot of data online. Oh, and yes. when someone says, I'm a this size business, just understand primarily they're talking about the revenue. That oh, does sure. not mean... It could be a seven-figure business that's losing money. Yes. And okay. there are plenty of them out there. <laughs> yes. So I try and make my clients understand that that you can have a fat five-figure business, meaning you're at 60,000, yep. but you're keeping 50 of it. Bingo. You're running super lean and you're going to need to kind of invest to grow, but you you've been you need to understand it's a there's a good chance that you are actually making more money than a multi six figure business right now. Yeah, so that's a very good point. A number of clients I work with are actually zero fig. I call them zero figure businesses because we're starting from startup, and so there's no money coming in at that point. And so their first milestone is let me get to five figures. Then it's let me get to mid five figures, and then mm-hmm. it's let me get to six figures. The idea. Well, there's, it depends. This is very so much from situation to situation, but I have had startup clients making five figures or with revenue of five figures that have been more profitable than my seven and eight figure Mm -hmm. clients. So, and I love that. I just want to drive that point home, Pam, because I think coming from you, that's, you know, it sounds, everyone knows I'm a big woo. So it's (laughs) different, but why that's so important is I see so many people judging themselves. Oh my gosh. Yeah. um, In in success levels based on what the revenue line in their business says, when really the fact that you have retained the income you've retained in your business is, is really more important in, in terms of wealth, I would say, but okay. So I didn't even let you answer the question. So what's the most important thing an entrepreneur can do right at the startup to be one in 10 who breaks through the seven figure barrier? 
Yeah, that is a great point. So um, I just want to reiterate again, it's the six figures. The one in 10 is from six figure to seven, but from zero to a, you know to seven figures, is a, the odds are stacked even more against you. What I, what I can't tell you is why, and let's just say nine of them don't succeed. What I can tell you is the ones that do succeed and break the seven figure point profitably in a way that lets them either keep growing or be happy with the business as it is, or whatever their desired outcome is, is that they have a very clear understanding of their financials. And as painful as that is, because my profession unfortunately talks in such Greek that it feels like that's a huge burden. My whole point, both in the book and with anybody I talk to, is it doesn't have to be. Having that financial confidence that makes you that one in whatever the number is, is all about understanding at an entrepreneur's level or at the CEO level, I only need to know these three or four things, these three or four very plain English things, and they all revolve around cash. How much am I going to have tomorrow? How much am I going to have next week? How much am I going to have next year? So that you are free with confidence to do and make the decisions you need to make as an entrepreneur to grow your company or keep it at the same size or whatever it is you decide to do. Mm, So good. Okay. So I want to make sure that I tell the story or we get to tell the story about how we met um, <laughs> because it has very little to do with money, but maybe it doesn't because I think it'll give people a different flavor for you and, and, and a different depth of who you are. And yeah, it's fun, that's awesome. right? One of my favorite, favorite stories. And I think, you know, certainly one of the reasons that you entered my heart immediately and will never leave it. So my publisher, who is uh, Angela Loria of the Author Incubator, is friends with Patty. And Patty and I were both at the same, I think it was social media marketing world a couple of years ago. And Angela said, oh, you've got to meet Patty. I don't know why, but you've got to meet her. And I'm not sure if she said the same thing to you or not, but Mm -hmm. as it turns out, I was seeking Patty out and Patty was seeking me out. And we grabbed our lunches and went out to the porch and sat down. And I had been uh, gaining weight just crazily for a while. And it was really frustrating me, although we didn't talk about that at all. And I was eating a healthy lunch, that kind of thing. And Patty very politely said, and I didn't even know like that this is something that you did. But Patty said, you know, I need to tell you something, but normally I don't do it unless I ask permission. And it may sound kind of weird. It, you know, do I have your permission to tell you? And I said, yeah, sure. You know, I'm, I'm intrigued at that point. You don't say no. And Patty goes, there's somebody standing above you. They're tall with dark hair. And the only thing they're saying, and I have no idea why, is it's just the beer and the bread. And I like, I must have flushed. I don't know what I looked like, but I was silent for some period of time because what she described was tall, dark haired, which is, there's no way she could know this, but that's uh, my father who passed away. It's it's 47, 46 years ago now, who I, you know, really idolized. And what he was saying is it's just the beer and the bread. I was struggling so much with how to stop gaining weight. And sure enough, my two Achilles heels were just beer and bread. And I just, I was like, wow. And we talked a little bit more and there were some more, there was some more messaging for me. And I just was, it really made an impression on me, both about Patty and her willingness and openness to share that with me. And 
such a reassurance that we're not alone here. We are just not alone. Mm, well, you know what I love about that story is a couple of things. First of all, Pam is so solid in what she teaches and what she knows and so number oriented that I was really scared to actually tell you that someone was there that had a message for you because I was like, huh. oh God, is this gonna like you felt very left brained up, you know, I barely yep. knew. So I love that you were open to it. Also, when I go to anywhere, big crowds, anywhere out in public, I have a very strong veil up so that I'm not hearing from people from the other side of the veil. Uh, okay. So if I get a message, that being has done a lot of work to push through. Wow. And is very intent on getting the message to someone. And wow. it's really only happened, I'd say, 10, 15 times. <sighs> So that's what I love too, is that your dad just had, I mean, he would have had to work so hard vibrationally to be able to get through the veil and lower his vibration enough to communicate with you so specifically. So that just, you know, just put in such a like soft spot in my heart, you know, that story still brings me tears. And, and part of me says, you know, yep, that's, that's my dad. He was a stubborn cuss. Um, (laughs) And just so, so, so caring. And, and that's why I knew that's who you were talking about, because everything about how you described it said, it, it, it blew my mind. It totally blew my mind. And, and, and it opened up my, my life, my relationships so much more just in that very short meeting that we had. I love that. I didn't know that. That's oh that's yeah, so, yeah. <laughs> oh Pam, that's so wonderful. Well, um, you know we're coming close to the end of time, and the one thing I did want to give everyone from you is what they can do to have a more peaceful relationship with tax time. Ah, it's a great point. And that is the one thing that just gives everybody the shutters, isn't it? Right. So we go through, you know, multiple years, sometimes one, two, three years of not making any money. Then all of a sudden we get to our first profitable year and we're celebrating. And then four months later in April, somebody says, you owe the government, you know, half of that money you thought you made. And that, that is really brutal. The way that I like to tell anybody who will listen is if you are about to turn profitable, if you think this is the year, if you think 2019 is the year you're going to be profitable, start in April of this year when you're normally looking at last year's taxes and start thinking about what you think that number at the end of the year is going to be. And by this, I mean the net income number that we described. Okay. Not the revenue number, but if you've had, you know, if your expenses have been higher than that revenue we talked about, forever. You probably haven't had to pay taxes on it, but all of a sudden this year, you're going to have net income. You're going to make more than you spend is all that means. Then start thinking about it in April and predicting what you think that number is going to be. Another reason that forecasting and bookkeeping become so important because if it's going to be a big number, if you're going to actually start to make money, what you need to know is the taxes are going to likely be the biggest expense in your business. So you need to start thinking about it as an expense during the year and saving for it as you grow, as opposed to an afterthought at the end of the year. And it's not really an expense. It's just something I have to pay and I hate it. And just making that slight shift to think about this horrible thing earlier, it gives you the opportunity to minimize that tax number. And that there's a whole nother speech on tax management strategies. And I am not a tax accountant because believe it or not, even as an accountant, taxes make me crazy. But the earlier you think about it in the current year, 
the better off you're going to be at the end of the year because you you plan for it just like you plan for your marketing spend just like you plan for you know the salary that you take for yourself don't let it surprise you the first year you're profitable and that brings peace because you know that that first year that you have profit you can totally celebrate instead of sort of celebrate until the other shoe drops yeah <laughs> awesome perfect so um there's two questions that we didn't get to yet. So I'd love answers to them. The second, the first question was, what is wealth? Which you answered. The second is, what do you believe your purpose is? I believe my purpose in business and in life are really the same. And that is to leave, and this sounds corny, but I really mean it. Leave everybody I interact with better than they were before I saw them, that they think they're better. Not that I think they're better, but that they feel better. And, and in their perspective, are better off than they were before. Whether that's my daughter in a conversation that we're having, or a client who's you know feeling overwhelmed with with finances, it, and I'm certainly by no means good at perfect at this, or even good at it. But that's my purpose. Oh, love that. And then finally, and this is the last question, and I'll just say. Uh, Pam has a wonderful offer and I'm going to put it in the show notes because it's not even an opt-in because that's just how she rolls. <laughs> it's just right there. It's a, a cl cash clarity offer. Mm -hmm. um, that'll help you get clear on cash flow. Right. Did I get that right? Yeah. It's not even yeah. a lead magnet. It's just, it is a template of a cash flow forecast so that you can do what we've been talking about here and a video on how to use it. No email collection, nothing. Just get out there and use it. I really, really suggest it, especially if this is the year you're going to be profitable and I'm pulling for you. Yes. And I'm thinking it's related to your answer to this last question. And the last question is for people who are pursuing wealth while staying aligned with their purpose, what is the one piece of advice you would give them? Always be able to have clarity when you look at the future of your finances so that you can just rest and enjoy the success you're having. Mm, so good. So good. Pam, I adore you. You bring a wealth of stability and intelligence to an industry that sometimes is cuckoo crazy. And I oh, thank you for that. That's mutual. So as you know, you are so, so special in my heart. And I wish uh, you and all of your audience all the best. Thank you, Pam. Hey, thank you for listening to this episode of the Wealth and Purpose Podcast. If you liked what you heard, please share this episode with someone you know needs to hear it. And if you're feeling really generous, I'd love for you to leave us a review on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you found us. It fills my heart when I read a review and helps us reach many more people. So thank you. This podcast is part of the Sound Advice FM network. Sound Advice FM, women's voices amplified.